Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. Hey, look, another great problem to have. We still have people pouring in this morning. If you have seats in the middle, if you would be okay, if you could scoot in so other people can maybe fill their way in on the outside, that would be really beneficial at the tops and bottoms. So, so very thankful for that this morning. Hey, I'm so thankful that you are here today. I'm thankful we get to gather uh, and worship together and enjoy God's word as we press in more to, to who he is and what he's called us to. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Acts chapter 2, a passage so beautifully read for us this morning. And maybe this is a passage that you know all too well. Maybe a passage of Scripture that that I have preached, uh, I would think, like four or five times in three years, because it is so pivotal for the life of the believer, okay? So as we jump in, we are in week three of this series called Home. And the goal of these four weeks together is to allow you to take a deep dive as a look into who Broadmoor is, what Broadmoor is about, and where we believe the Lord is calling us to go as a church. So with this here this morning, you may be here day one, or you may have been here all 70 years of this church's existence. It doesn't matter because God brought you here for a purpose. You're not here by accident. You're not here by happenstance. You're, you're not here because somebody invited you and, and, and only or, or, or grandma said you can't get any fried chicken after it's over unless you come to church today. I don't, I don't know why you think you're here, but I'm telling you, by God's sovereign grace, you're in this room today. And this is, this is what I know about this church after being here um, a decade ago on staff and and having this church pour so much life into my family uh, and then coming back now for a little over two years, this church is a beautiful picture of God's people. It is not perfect, for sure, but it is absolutely beautiful because we are people who love one another and are walking alongside one another. What you're going to find when you come here, hopefully, is you're going to find life you're going you're gonna to find, find joy. You're going to find hope and peace. You're, you're going to find people that you didn't know you had something in common with. This whole idea of, of koinonia, this, this idea of fellowship and together that we get in the New Testament, it's simply this idea that whenever believers get together and they realize, oh, you're going through that too? Oh, you, you believe that too? Oh, oh you, you love that too? That is that picture that unites us all. And so today, specifically, we look at that. The strategy, now that's kind of a a word that we throw around in, in meetings, but it's simply this. What is it about this church? What is it that we are going to do that is going to equip you to live the life that we believe God has called you to live? So over these last couple of weeks, you've heard the mission. You've heard the the passion and the values that we have, how we will equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, and how we know that we will be successful is what we look at next week. So as we jump into today, we figure out why do we submit to God's word? Pursue reconciliation, equip disciple makers, run to the hurting, uh, cultivate uh, healthy relationships, and live generously. All of these things come together in this room. So we can take all the cool mission statements and all the values and and all the cool branding that we've done and you put it aside and we have this, a beautiful family of faith that we invite others to come and join in and those who are a part of the family in faith, we invite them to go and live out this life together. 
And the place that we look, I believe, is one of the most powerful pictures of that in all of the scriptures, and that's in Acts chapter 2. So as you are turning there, let's do just a little bit of background work as we're jumping into the middle of a text. And Acts is the second volume of Luke's gospel. Okay, so we have Luke the gospel writer, and he writes a second book, and that's called Acts. It's, it's literally the Acts of the Apostles. It's, it's what the Apostles did through the work of the Holy Spirit. Where we jump in today is a pretty amazing point in the life of the church. It's where church begins. We find ourselves at the day of Pentecost, which literally means 50th. All right, Pentecost was the 50th day from Passover. Okay, a lot of times when we're growing up and we hear the word Pentecost, we believe that Pentecost is because the Spirit fell on that day. No, no, Pentecost was way before that day. The Spirit just fell on that day. And I don't want you to miss the beautiful meaning behind why we believe God sovereignly allowed the Spirit to fall on that day and breathe life into the church. Pentecost was also a Jewish festival called the Festival of the Harvest of Wheat. Do you remember just a few weeks ago when and we, we covered the scripture where Jesus said, hey, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray for more workers, for, for the harvest is ready, but the laborers are what? For few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send more laborers. And so Jesus tells his disciples to pray for that. And in this moment, we see God miraculously answer that prayer, that when the Spirit comes down, and, and it's a strange moment, to be sure. Specifically, if you grew up Baptist and you have not a charismatic bone in your body, this chapter makes you nervous. For my charismatics in the room, like, finally, preacher, you talking about something I know. We don't know exactly what it looked like. We don't know what it must have felt like, but we do have descriptors that Luke, being a doctor, would, would have made very clear. It was, it was as if tongues of fire came down and rested on the apostles' heads, and, and they start to, to speak in these tongues, but it may be different than you think. Well, let, let's jump in and, and kind of see what happens here, okay? Acts chapter 1. We're going to read fast to cover the background and get to the good stuff, okay? Acts, I said chapter 1. I'm lying to you. It is Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. I was like, why are your pages turning? I just told you Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 1. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? All right, so, so just to be clear, a lot of times when we hear speaking in tongues, it's, we, we kind of get this idea, particularly in this passage, of, of unintelligible language. That's not the case here. That in this moment in Scripture, the Holy Spirit gave Galileans, men who had not really traveled outside of their own city, 
the ability to speak fluently in the languages of the other men and women who were gathered in the city on that day, who were from every part of the known world. This would, in effect, be like you never speaking Spanish a day in your life, never ever taking a class, and for you being able to go today to the restaurant and order in perfect Spanish or French or Cantonese or Romo. This is a beautiful moment where, where God wanted them to declare the most powerful and perfect message the world has ever heard. And in his grace, he allowed these men to speak in a language they had never studied before perfectly to the point where other people are here and saying, how can this thing be? Verse 9 and following goes through all of the places that these men were from. And then you get to verse 12. And it says, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So you had some just saying, I, I, don't, I don't know, this, this is unreal. It, it felt like there was a mighty rushing wind. It, it, it seemed as if tongues of fire landed on their heads. And now I'm hearing them speaking my language. I don't know what's going on. But others thought differently. Verse 13. But others mocked and said, they are filled with new wine. They're just drunk. Verse 14 is one of my favorite sections of the Bible. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He did not say, how dare you think these people would ever be drunk? He said, it's nine in the morning. Surely they're not drunk yet. God uses the foolish things, and for that I am very thankful. I am thankful that in this picture, he didn't take the polished or had it all together. Matter of fact, in such a way that nobody could say, man, I'm so glad I've been studying up on my, 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 my Middle Eastern languages. Woo! So glad all, that, that all, all my college background came into to account today where I could preach the gospel. No, no. God used them in a mighty and powerful way. This incredible thing continued to happen, and it amazed the people. So Peter, catching the momentum of this moment, stands up, and he begins to preach a sermon. And he's helping them understand how the devout Jews from this, this region got to this point. Essentially saying, hey, remember that guy, Jesus? The one that you wanted gone. The one that you crucified. Yeah, he was the promised one of God. Peter said it this way. Look in your Bibles, Acts 2, verse 36 and following. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made, made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, hear the language, that you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many others, 
uh, many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about, listen, 3,000 souls. Church, this is how the church was born. It wasn't born because of something that they did. It wasn't born because God had saw a a trajectory of obedience and good enough and tried hard enough before he said, you know what, now it's time for the church. God made the church born out of men and women who were broken over their sin. And in their confession and in their repentance, God breathed life into them. And it said that day God raised uh, 3,000 people from death to life. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples gave faithful testimony in many different languages of what they had seen and what they had heard. And after everyone came out to see this amazing thing and what had happened, Peter stood up and began to preach and people fell under a conviction of Peter's sermon and said, hey, what do we do? Peter gave them two things to do. Repent and be baptized. And you would say, okay, one of those seems philosophical. One of those things seems action-oriented. So does that mean for me to be born again, that that I need to to have this moment of repentance and then a physical moment of being dunked in the water? And I would say yes, but but hang with me for a second because this is going to be important for where we're going. The idea of, of confessing or repenting of your sin is an acknowledgement, not just that we have made a mistake, but it's we have made a mistake in front of our Father, and we are changing the direction that we are going in so we don't make that mistake again. So there is a repentance aspect that we realize that in our own power, we are broken and powerless. But the second thing, guys, is important for us. It says, repent and be baptized. To be baptized is to identify with the person and the work of Christ. Because baptism isn't the washing away of sin. It is the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so for the first believers... This is what they clung to, that I am going to confess my need for Christ and my dependence upon him every day, and that's done through repentance and baptism. That's that's how we identify with our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get it twisted. It's not just about going to find some water and going under and coming back up. It's about saying, he's my Lord, and I'm going to follow him wherever he leads because my life belongs to him. 3,000 were saved that day. It says that they were added to their number. Added to what? What's the number? The number is the church. Which brings us to the heart of our question today. What did they do after that? What, what did they do after revival broke out in Jerusalem? This is where we pick up in a passage that we all probably know by heart. Acts 2, 42 and following. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So after God saved them, after God made them born again, they did four things. They devoted themselves to four things. And it is this, apostles' teachings. All right, so um, don't, don't think this in just this, the sense of like they came and heard a preacher preach. Because there, there's something different between an apostle's teaching and a preacher's teaching. The apostles' teaching is the authoritative word of God to God's people. Now, remember, the New Testament had not been written yet. That for them, they are going, particularly in this moment, the Old Testament is their Bible. But God is breathing life into them and giving very clear instructions to the apostles to teach. So as these apostles open their mouths, it is as if God is speaking to them. It is as if they are going to the word every time they devote themselves to what the apostles have said. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Then they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, we're really good at that. We like that. That's the idea of gathering together. That's the idea of having life in common and us doing life together. And probably the thing I think my favorite of the four is they broke bread together. I don't know if that meant Chick-fil-A first century. I don't know how that shakes out. I don't know if they had Chick-fil-A sauce, but they broke bread together. The idea that they, they celebrated life to sit down at a Jewish table was one of the most honoring things that you could do with a neighbor. And they devoted themselves to this every single day, and then they devoted themselves to the fourth thing, which is prayer, prayers. And it was just this idea that they were going to devote themselves to communion with the Lord as they do communion with one another. So we're not sure here. So let me be clear. We're not sure if this is descriptive or prescriptive. You know what I mean by that? Descriptive is when you're describing something. So, for example, if this is just descriptive, this is the four things that they devoted themselves to. But if it's prescriptive, if it's something that's prescribed to to the first century believers and to, to anyone who would ever read the word, including us, then that would mean that all four of these things must be the things that we do. And honestly, we don't know if it's prescriptive or descriptive. But even still, we can see with vivid detail what they did, which helps us live our lives in a God-honoring way. As they consistently took part in this practice or discipline, something incredible happened. Here's kind of the outcomes of that. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All right, so this is a big deal, right? Because up until this moment, up until the Spirit of God rushes into that room and all the apostles come out and start speaking in tongues and Peter preaches that famous sermon and 3,000 people get saved on that day, everybody seemed to be segmented in this town. You believe this, you're here, you're from here, you go over here, this is who your people are, you stay over there. But all of a sudden, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, everybody comes together and what used to divide no longer divides, but they are united by something deeper and something more. So when they look around and they see the people that are in their houses now, breaking bread today, 
devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching right next to them. They are in absolute awe. And many wonders and signs are being done by the apostles. They're just sitting back, these people, and they're watching God work. So all of a sudden, again, don't miss it. Don't miss how close we are to when Jesus went to the cross. The hope for Christians, the hope for those who followed Christ in this moment had all been dashed 50 days ago. But here we are, and they have more life than they ever thought possible. There's more life in them now, and they are just sitting back and seeing what God would do. And then it says this, all who believed. See, they were together because of what they believed. Their belief in Jesus being the Christ caused them to act because they believed that Jesus was the Christ, because they loved him and wanted to obey his commands. They were together. They had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and giving the proceeds to anyone who had need. Now, this passage right here causes some people some trouble on both ends. And, and doing ministry as long as I have, I know that I have walked with people who would, had nothing and would say, here it is, the church is supposed to do everything for me now. Hallelujah, I'm part of this church. Well, that's not what it means. But then I also had brothers and sisters who have a whole lot and they hear this passage, you're like, oh boy, preacher, are you trying to tell me God wants me to get rid of all my stuff to be able to follow him? Well, I'm not saying that's what it is either. But it's probably in between, in a way that's going to make you both uncomfortable again. Let me be clear. They didn't become Christians because they sold their stuff or gave it away. They didn't, they didn't buy their way into the kingdom. And they didn't just give it away. If someone in the family of faith had a need, a need that would stop them from following Christ, stop them from advancing the kingdom, stop them from making disciples that was mandated on their life, if somebody in the family of faith had a need that would hinder them in some way, it was understood that God has already met that need through somebody else in their family of faith. All right, so this is kind of how it would flesh out for them. Again, prescriptive, descriptive, let's, let's talk through it. It would be as if there was no social system or no social network in place that if somebody couldn't pay their bills or feed their kids, you wouldn't point them first to go to the welfare office or to go down the street and, and go beg somebody on the street side, what you would say as a brother and sister in Christ is, oh my gosh, don't worry about that one second. You come to my house and let's eat together. You don't have what you need, then, then God has given me more than I need. So you must be who God has been sending to me. I've been waiting on you. Let's do life together. This is the beauty of what God is calling the church to be in the first century. This would be totally different than the first century. And it would be totally different than the 21st century. I do believe God is calling us to live out these principles in our lives. To understand that if we need, then all we do is ask. But if we have, then we say, God, you have blessed me in such a way. How can I be a blessing to those that are around me? Show me to who I am to serve. Back to their actions. 
day by day, like, like this wasn't just like they, they ticked it off the box or they did it once a week or once a month. It says every day, day by day, they attended temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with how many people? All people. As they rested in the presence of God and others, the Lord was faithful. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Listen to me, church, and listen to me carefully. Who added to the number the saved people? God did. Wait, I thought that was our role. I thought our role was to go out and save people. Let's be crystal clear. You cannot save a soul. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save. Now, it is our goal and it is our ambition and our mission to give good and faithful witness to who Jesus is and what he has promised. And so, yes, we are, by God's grace, active in this role of salvation for believers and unbelievers alike that whenever we see people, we point them to to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. But to be clear, Jesus is the one who does the saving. Well, Josh, what, what is our role then? Our role is to do the discipling and the loving. Our goal is to to bring people in and to love them through. That is why the Great Commission is indeed the Great Commission. That whole teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, again, it doesn't happen in five minutes. It should take as long as you've learned it as as long as it's going to be to teach it. Church, this, the way they did church, is a far cry from showing up to church for an hour a week. This is life on life for life. Their belief that Jesus is the Christ of God radically changed their lives. Their lives were completely reordered, not because it was the thing they needed to do or as if out of obligation. They viewed this way as the better way. This new order brought them the most joy, the most peace, and the most life. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 13, 44, when he was telling the disciples about what the kingdom of heaven would be like. And this is, this is that very short but powerful passage, Matthew 13, 44. It says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then he covered it up. And in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. He cashed in everything because he knew what was on that small patch of land was better than anything else this world had to offer. This is the fulfillment of that. Because what they found was infinitely greater than anything they had ever had up until this point. This belief caused them to submit to God's word, to pursue reconciliation, to equip disciple makers, to run to the hurting, to cultivate healthy relationships, and to live generously. And you may sit here and say, Pastor, wow, I really want that. I want to be a part of something like that. I want my family to be a part of something like that. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. First, Peter told the crowd on the day of Pentecost to repent and be baptized, to put their hope and trust in Christ Jesus. That's number one. Because anything I say that's past that isn't going to make complete sense for you. It's not going to have 
staying power. It's, it's, not, gonna, it's not gonna bring uh, everlasting joy. It's actually gonna come more of, of, of duty than it does delight. It's gonna become a drain on you as opposed to something that fills you if we don't repent of our sin and put our hope in Jesus Christ. Because I do think we are in a place that somehow gets this out of order. So first step, realize that our brokenness is beyond our repair. And we say, Lord Jesus, our life belongs to you. The second thing, now this is specific to Broadmoor, okay? I'm I'm not saying this is the way. I'm just saying this is a way. But it is a a way that we have seen God use in a mighty and powerful way here. You're going to see a graphic on your screen. And it is three ways that we believe that you can engage the church. And I hope this would be true of any church, but I know this is true of our church. The first thing that you would engage is worship. Maybe, maybe you have no idea of, of where you are in your walk with the Lord Jesus, but you are looking, you are seeking, you are trying to figure out what this life is about. I would say, come to worship. Then there's groups. And then there's service. And the thing that unites them all is abiding in the love and the power of Christ. All right, so just walking through this. We believe that as you engage as a faith family united in the confession that Jesus is the Christ of God, you will grow deeper in your faith, deeper in your walk with Christ, and deeper in your walk with other believers. We believe that you can engage at any of these three points, but when you engage all three, that you are going to grow in a way that you have never grown before. Because this is the primary way at Broadmoor we disciple the believers trusted to us. Whether it would be in this big room setting, which is really hard to do in discipleship, but it's much easier to do and and really, I believe, designed to do when you move to the group setting. Whether that be life group or we would even encourage you to go smaller than that into a small accountability group. Because that is where you are going to know and be known. That's where you are going to be encouraged and held accountable. But then there's also these areas of service. And this is what you're going to find out. And I know that many of you have already seen it, that a lot of times when you think of service, you think, oh, no, I have something I need to go give them. As if they don't have and I have, so let me go and give it to them. That is my act of service. But have you ever noticed something strange that whenever you serve somebody for the Lord Jesus, that you're more blessed than they are? That you're more filled after you've been poured out than you were before? Because that's what God does. That's how God designed you. He's called us to worship. He's called us to do life together. And he's called us to serve. And all of those things are held together as we abide in Christ. That's our strategy here. It's not difficult. It's actually really elementary. But this is the three ways that if you want to get involved in this church, those are the doors that we ask you to walk through. So, as our worship team comes back out and we move into this time of closing, here's the truth of life. We are going to devote ourselves to what is most important to us. Let me say it one more time. We are going to devote ourselves to what is most important to us. So, in looking at our life right now, let me, I said our life, that makes it softer. Let me, let me be a little more pointed. As you look at your life right now, how you've ordered it 
The things that you give your time, your money, your relational capacity to. What's important to you? Because you're going to devote your life to what is most important to you. And no doubt, believers in this room, and no doubt probably believers across our city and even our state and probably even our country, when we ask, what is the most important thing to you? You would say, resoundingly, Jesus. But does the way you live and order your life prove that statement to be true? Now, I can't tell you how to order it. I'm not here to do that for you. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I do know for me that as I've taken inventory over my life, there are a lot of things that I'm proud of, but there are many more that I'm not. And so I know that in God's grace, he calls us to repentance. He calls us to confess our sin and our need. And so maybe you're here today and you hear that question and it lands on you like salt in an open wound. Man, Josh, why could you just preach on something else? I didn't come here for that. But I do believe this is right. We're going to devote ourselves to the things that are most important to us. So as we look at our lives and how we have ordered them, what is the most important thing to us? Do you like where you are? Or are you looking for something more? Something deeper, something better. Church, I am telling you there is a better way. As you abide in Christ, worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't miss the beauty of this gathering of the saints. People who would seemingly have nothing in common, but because of their faith in Jesus Christ, now have everything in common, and they are gathered together. You are a family of faith, not because of what you bring to the table, but because of what Christ has done for you. Nobody in here brought something to the table and God said, whoa, I'm so glad I have you. We need you. We are only here because our Lord Jesus is sufficient. And that is the rest that we sit in. So don't miss the beauty of this gathering. I think that's why church gatherings are so important. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul made very clear, do not forsake the gathering together as some have become accustomed to. Because if you do other things other than, than this, making this a priority, you're gonna forget the thing that ties us together. And we live in a world that tells us if you're a good person, Christian, then you need to do more, try harder, be better. That's not the gospel. This reminds us of, it's not about what we've done. It's not about trying harder or being better. It's about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. So we worship, but then we connect. We connect with groups of like-minded Christ followers and we share life together. Again, let me reiterate this. If this is your only time during the week that you gather with known believers to have biblical conversation. God-honoring conversation where you look at another believer and you let them know how you are and where you are and they do the same for you. If this is the only time that's happening, listen to me, you are in bad shape. God has not called us 
to be isolated in this world. God has not called us to come and worship him for one hour a week. God has called us to live 24-7, 365 for his glory and our good. So I am begging you with all that I am, find a group of like-minded Christ followers, connect with them and share life with them. And then finally, looking for something deeper and something more, serve. And you may say, Josh, I don't have anything to serve. You haven't trained me to do that yet. No, no, you've got plenty to serve. When you were born again, God gave you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gave you gifts. I don't know what those gifts are for you, but I do know you have them. So use them. We serve and in our service we find life. This is the primary way that we believe you will be equipped to live out your mission here at Broadmoor. The worst thing that you can do is to try to do this life alone. We were not created to live in isolation. We were created for community. Last thing as we move into this invitation time. I love that the first believers, they weren't superstars or rock stars. Matter of fact, the ones who were proclaiming the message, they were, I mean, out the gate. It wasn't even like you gave them a week or a month. Out the gate. Now they're a bunch of drunks. And then Peter didn't even clear that up very well. These people didn't have anything in common except for Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. I know where we live and kind of how we live. We want people to believe a story about us. And usually that story is, we're good, we've got it together, we don't need any help, but if you need me, I'm there to help you. Hey, can we just be honest? Everybody's broken. The scriptures say this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? Everybody in here has sinned and continues to sin. Everybody, look around, and you see the most seasoned saint, and you say, they hadn't sinned in 60 years. You should have heard them this morning getting dressed for church. We're all broken. Nobody in here is better than anybody else. We come together in unity because of our confession of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's the invitation today. If you are looking for a place to belong, we'd love for you to connect here at Broadmoor. But if this isn't your church home, I pray that you would find one that lives out these principles, these truths that are rooted in God's holy word. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the sweetness of church in general, the big C church around the world. I'm thankful, God, that as we gather this morning and we enjoy the fellowship of the believers here, that as we have brothers and sisters who are in Tanzania, and they are gathered with the Penway people, and they are hearing the gospel, some of them for the very first time in their language, but there are believers there, and there's sweet fellowship there, because Jesus, you are what unites us all. So help us, Father. Repent of our sin. And put our faith and trust in you. And as we have done that, help us devote our lives to what is most important to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that would be you and the mission that you've called us to. 
Help us know how we are to respond rightly to that. Lord, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray and stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?